Welcome to another episode of Top Lines and Tales, and uh, this is part two of our podcast that I did or recorded when we were away in Argentina, and it has been a few a few days ago now since I've come back with a sore throat, I have to admit. Um, but I hope you enjoy uh, get an insight into where we were in Argentina. This second episode is more about us being in the west of Argentina, in the Mendoza region, where we've exchanged beef for wine, which is a pretty fair exchange as far as I'm concerned. So uh, hope you get back and enjoy this. Don't forget, to, we are sponsored on this podcast by Harbro, so please check out Harbro and their range of products. I'm not sure they do wine, but uh, they certainly uh, supply feed for beef and nutritional advice for beef and sheep and other animals across the UK. So look out Harbro at harbro.com and I hope you enjoy this uh, this episode. After an early flight, we headed to Mendoza, which was a couple of hours. And as soon as we landed, we realized what a beautiful part of, of the, the country this was over there in the West. And the weather was gorgeous. And we were met by Lucy R guide for the, the next few days and the first place we went to was an olive oil factory uh, which was have to say fascinating they not only made olive oil but they also made balsamic vinegar but I will admit to being a little bit unwell that day and standing in the balsamic vinegar factory um, turned my stomach a little bit so I didn't get any recording from there but the factory itself was called Lauer L-A-U-R and founded in 1889 they were the biggest not only the biggest manufacturer of olive oil in Argentina but also the best they'd won award for being the best olive oil factory in the entire world I'm not quite sure who awarded that to them but uh, it certainly was damn fine stuff and uh, they had a museum there as well so we could see the early ways that they'd worked olive oil before the whole thing became so much more mechanized and uh, some of the old machines in there interestingly were made by Alfa Laval that uh, of course make the milking machines nowadays they produced in excess of 600 tons of olive oil goodness how many liters that was a lot of bottles anyway yeah a huge outfit and uh, that was quite fascinating as was the the balsamic vinegar factory where the balsamic vinegar was stored in wooden barrels a bit like wine made of course made from wine itself and uh, some of the balsamic vinegar was stored and relocated and moved around until it was something like 15 years old and very expensive and of course it had won awards as well and then we were taken into a room there where we were given the chance to taste the, the balsamic vinegar and the olive oil and the wine all of which was great and some tapenade as well though unfortunately I didn't really taste much of it but everybody in the party said it was great and they all enjoyed a bit of wine and then they they, they poured us back onto the bus where we went at least 500 yards before we arrived at a very rustic farmhouse uh, run by a, an oldish guy there who uh, obviously liked his memorabilia and there was memorabilia of, of rugby a lot of it round about the place and, and uh, a couple of dogs and a couple of waitresses in there and uh, quite a bit of dust I have to say but uh, very rural very old-fashioned and uh, he got in the kitchen there and started cooking and once more he cooked us up a delight of more empanadas he cooked us up some beef and lamb and pork and various things on his open fire out of the back and and uh, we had lots more wine. It was fantastic, you know, seeing the way that the Argentinians live. You just felt that we were part of of, a, of an old Argentinian family there. It was absolutely superb. And uh, we all ate and drunk until we, we, we were stuffed and uh, we needed some sleep. That it had been uh, Malcolm Stewart's birthday, so we all sang happy birthday to Malcolm and he celebrated with a, with a nice piece of fillet. And then we headed back to where we were staying, which was a place called Salantin, which was uh, a vineyard in the Yuko Valley. 
an hour or two away there. And we arrived there. They were so looking forward to seeing us. They cooked up this fantastic feast over a monumental barbecue, which uh, included some pork, which had been roasted in black sugar and absolutely brilliant. But nobody was hungry because we'd all eaten a big lunch earlier on. But uh, we did pay homage to them and uh, drink some of their wine and eat some of that food there. It was a fantastic evening. And what a wonderful place Salantin was. And this was part of a vineyard, which we were then the next day going to be treated to a tour around the vineyard. And uh, we had a different guide with us that day. And uh, this is what, what he had to say. What is your name? My name is Juan Pablo. Okay. I'm in charge of the guest experience and even planet at Salentin property. The guest experience, okay. Exactly. And, and we're staying at the resort here. Are there two or three resorts? This, this yeah, exactly. One Our lodge, Posada Salentin. Um, it's one of the first lodge on the on the area, on the region, and that's the reason the tradition that it conserves is really interesting because most of the developments of the area, the investors, the properties that were coming after Salentine, mm. there were things also of Posada Salentine that had the possibility to host this type of climate. Okay, fantastic. And we're now going to look around the vineyards, is that right? Exactly. Where, where are we headed to just now? Yes. Salentine is one of the first properties in Upo Valley in producing wine. Okay. Our history is really interesting because it's a really earlier history, it's not so so long it means it mm. comes out of the 2000 year yeah in the 90s decade two main events happened that allowed the creation of salting and also the growing of Valley as a wine region okay the first of those events was an arrival of a new irrigation system uh-huh. we will be sooner in after the new irrigation system okay. that is the drip irrigation system thanks to that system uh, we had the opportunity to have a uh, really good control of the water mm. That is a resource that we can we like a lot in here and, the, the, and the water comes down from the from the andes from the snow besides yes. from the mountain yeah. and that's uh, our main resource of water oh, okay then for sure we had uh, underground water too mm. but those deposits are not so big enough for guaranteeing the production so uh, we depend a lot about the snow season on the mountain and what's the weather like because we're right close to the andes here do you get more rainfall than maybe they do on, on the east side of the country not really no. mendoza has a particularity that is a desertic place okay so we have only 300 millimeter uh, rain. rainfall okay. per year okay so it's not a lot no that's not a lot that's why mm. mainly we depends on the mm. on the ice mountains on the mountain Okay, and uh, does it get cold? You get frost? Does it get cold at night? Exactly, that's one of the biggest risks that we have mm. according to the viticulture here in Argentina and Mendoza particularly. Um, the frost and the hailstorms mm-hmm. are typically in the area. What happened here is that near of the mountain, yes. normally the cloud of that hailstorms forming here, but then move towards with the wind okay. to the east of Mendoza. And so uh, the hailstorms they do damage. Yes, they do, a yeah. lot. Yeah. Uh, they can destroy hectares of vineyards yes. with a really good, strong, and it's so difficult at all. Time. I, I, I live near Bordeaux in France, and we get the yes. same there. The hailstorms just just yes. decimate well, the place. Today we will be sitting some part of vineyards mm. that is quite special because it's different from other regions in the Uco Valley itself. Mm, okay. Uh, San Paulo has some particularities similar to the Burgundy area okay. because it has kind of like that uh, forest sensation. Okay. High humidity percentage and it's really interesting to produce, for example, Pinot Noir, uh-huh, okay. Chardonnay with a really good mm, expression. Mm. However, well, the difficulty of water is always the same, so yeah. that's why it gives another profile structure into the wine okay okay well we're looking forward to seeing that thank you for talking to me and maybe we'll see you a little bit later thank you the bus took us down a long track in fact uh, 
pretty much all the roads in Argentina were, seemed to be long tracks, especially in Mendoza. There weren't many tarmac roads because they didn't get much rain. The, the roads were sort of shale and uh, rocked us about a little bit. But anyway, we, we jumped off the bus in a vineyard and we were in the San Paolo district. So in the north end of the Yuko Valley, we didn't realize, of course, how big the Yuko Valley was and, until we got there because Argentina is such a, a massive country. And we were in the Tupungato district and uh, districts of San Paolo seem to remember having 6,000 hectares or so but uh, the vines we saw were quite old and when we say old they only dated back maybe 25 years or so but uh, a very knowledgeable guy showed us uh, the structure of the soil there and how they've got somewhere around about 400 mil of topsoil and, and there was a, a hole dug out there so we can see that it was all rock below it all very interesting stuff and the other thing that we noticed was that um, it had mentioned hailstorms earlier on that the, the vines were all netted with uh, black nets on either side to keep the grapes down so that the hail couldn't hit them too hard and uh, we had a listen to see what uh, what our guide had to say about the soil the main massive part of the roots can reach 40 centimeters 40 40 centimeters, 40 centimeters. but the roots itself mm. can reaches two meters deepness if so and is there water down if you go down far enough is there water down below it so the rain look for water yes so that's the reason they grow deeper according to our management our irrigation mm -hmm. the main mass of water we concentrate from the irrigation in the first meter of the oh, yeah yeah however roots as i mentioned before looks for water from natural deposits normally stones also mm -hmm. accumulate a little bit of the water so that the reason they get deeper but the massive the mass part of the the roots of the vine will be concentrated in that meter of deepness because in, of in the in the topsoil because you've got to go about exactly what you've got there about 400 yeah. 40 centimeters of topsoil exactly yes okay thank you no pleasure no, they don't like could, could i just repeat that you said the salantino owns two thousand hectares of land exactly of which there's, there's well, 1,000 hectares of production grapes at in the moment, moment yes. uh, but they, build, they want to build it up to 1,500 exactly. on that same the land yes. without buying any more land. Yes. No. Okay. no, we have the land, but we don't have the water to increase the 2,000 hectares in production. So on those other 500 hectares, then you've got cows? Do you put cows on there? Or we have the opportunity, yes, and we are now visiting part of those new projections, okay. like the new plantation that we started now, okay. to reach those uh, 1,500 hectares in production. Oh. Okay, okay. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Once we got over the sheer scale of the operation there at Salantin and other wine growers in the Yuko Valley, uh, we realized that, uh, of course, because South America is what's termed as a new world wines, the, some of the vines had only been in the ground 20 years or so, and they didn't seem to play by the rules that everybody else had, uh, in the rest of the world play by. For instance, um, the wine, the Yuko Valley was a complete and utter desert if they hadn't got the water coming down from the Andes to irrigate it all. And as you heard um, Paolo say back there that uh, if they hadn't got the water in, in some of the areas, then although they got the land, they couldn't grow anything on it. And then we went round the corner and realized that the rule book had been thrown out a bit further because they were then growing organic wines in a place where nothing would grow. I don't think you'd even graze sheep on this place. They were rocks. They were huge rocks, no soil at all. And this vineyard was situated at 1,700 meters above sea level. For those in UK, that's about the height of the top of Ben Nevis. And they put the vines in a different way where they would put them on single pegs instead of on a, uh, a, a, instead of growing along a wire. 
uh, totally different to what I'd seen before. And uh, then they started to tell us about what they were doing here with these uh, organic wines and how eventually they would grow these organic wines and feed some of that back into their main wine production, claiming a little bit more of, of uh, eco-friendly, if you like, there. And yeah, we discovered the problem that they'd got there with ants. They got a problem with with various wild animals i think wild boar came in there and ate them and uh, they had to spray the things by hand with the knapsack the whole thing looked totally uneconomical but uh, an interesting concept of uh, of how we can push the boundaries into more eco-friendly wine production right so juan paolo we've just been to an organic vineyard just now a new type of vineyard where you're growing or an old type of vineyard but a new method where you're growing the vines each individually up, up, up a post there and this is something new isn't it yes actually it's um a gobelet system that comes from uh, Europe too. Okay. It's in normally in areas where the wine didn't have enough strength to grow it's dead, so they need much more sun acquisition, sunlight acquisition. Okay. So that's the reason the gobelet system allows that the vine grows in the same sticks surrounding it, so that it's much more different and lives in different directions to have much more sunlight sun, acquisition. All the way around, yeah. yeah. The sunlight will provide mm -hmm. much more strength to the vine mm -hmm. to develop the grape, and that's why uh, this system is so useful in this altitude because it's so cool and mm. uh, it needs to have much more energy for production. And also it's obviously you're seeing to be organic. Can you remind me what this method is called again? What's the name of it? Yes, the name of this vineyard? No, the method, the, 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 the way of doing it. What do you call it? You said it was from French word hair, I think. It's a gobelet. A gobelet. 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 Yes. Yes. It's like, like the head system. It's like uh, one stick yeah. and the vine will grow surrounding that stick. Okay. So that allows that most of the leaves have different directions. So much better acquisition of the sunlight. Okay. It's that's a gobelet system. That's fantastic, and you said it's mainly manual labor because they're grown so close together. There's no room to get tractors, so there's a lot more labor, a lot more expensive to make the wine. Yes, um, in here the price of the of the production in here is higher because not of the system itself, but also for the different challenges that mm -hmm. the vine suffers in this altitude. Okay, being a cooler climate in here and also water that is not a resource that we didn't have enough in here they make kind of difficult to grow vineyards in here yeah. the main fact that we have in this area is the frost mm -hmm. so that's why we have to fight against that yeah. different system that's why it's so difficult and i mean that in the expression of the final wine produced mm. from those vines yes. will be that like hard work just behind and that's the reason the, the price will be raising up. Expect. But <laughs> exactly. will there be a possibility that you'll maybe take a percentage of these wines and blend them into the rest of your wine so you can say that some of the wine is organic? For sure, yes, yeah. yes. In that sense, um, San Pablo in general, geographical indication mm. is being conversion between the conventional vineyard mm. to organic vineyard. Okay. That's why yeah. uh, we think in two, three more years, we have the possibility to say that all San Pablo wines mm. are in this moment organic. Okay. We already have organic wines coming mm. from Altamira mm. Vineyard, okay. that it's placed in San Carlos, mm. that it's uh, approximately 40, 50 kilometers from here, okay. and it's a uh, 1,100 meters altitude. Right, right. That one is already organic, and we produce organic matter from there. Okay, and, and uh, is there other people around using the same method? Are the other vineyards around here doing the same thing that you are? Not really that the same type of conduction, no. but uh, there are other properties that start having uh, cultivations in San Pablo specifically okay. with they see the richness of the minerality the calcium the sulfur that we have in here that provides a really interesting profile in the wine so okay. 
most of the properties start producing that part. Uh, it's so clever this type of system because allows to not have like the square traditional con uh, conduction of vineyards, but to have like a much more thoughtful uh, cultivation based on the soil conditions, soil profile. Okay, that's fantastic. It's very, very interesting because I've never seen that before. So it's really, really interesting to see the research behind. Thank you for so much information. No pleasure. Okay. We then arrived at the winery itself, and wow, what a spectacular building it was. Just a phenomenal, recently built, designed by some crazy architect who seemed to have designed all the winemaking facilities in Argentina, and a fantastic building. And this was vast, the scale of it was unbelievable, but it was small, because this one only produced something like three and a half million liters of premium wine, and the one they'd got across the road produced something like 13 and a half million liters of wine. So. Again, our host Juan Paolo explained in great detail all about the, the winemaking process. Winery is so young, it has only 24 25 years of production. Actually, last year we were celebrating our 25 years of harvest, but the company, the building itself, it was inaugurated in the year 2000, so it has two years less than those 25, so 23 24 years. The winery was inaugurated in the year 2000 but the historical background of Salentine started in the 90s decades. There were two main events that allowed the creation of Salentine and also the growing of Uco Valley as a wine region. The first of those moments was the arrival of a new irrigation system that we already saw it up there, that is the drip irrigation system. We can appreciate here the black pipeline. It sounds simple that through that pipeline we drive water and through small hoses and then it started drop by drop but actually it transformed changes all the agriculture in Argentina. Thanks to these systems, it was possible to conceive the cultivation in altitude. We mentioned already that the type of soil that is sandy, stony, alluvial soil, it's so permeable, so it didn't guarantee an homogenized distribution of water with the traditional system that we saw up there, the flooding. So thanks to this system, it was possible to reconsider the high cultivation of vineyards in altitude of Uco Valley. There were amazing ideas by winemakers, agronomical engineers, but they lack money for investments. So during the same moment, we considered also an important fact, the arrival of an investor that was Minder Pom from the Netherlands. Mr. Pom arrived in the 95 almost in here, and he heard the ideas of those experts deciding to invest on vineyards and knowing about the wine world. So I must say that it was kind of like a blind investment. Mr. Pond in the Netherlands used to be in charge of other type of business, much in the luxury car distribution like Volkswagen brands, okay? When he arrived in here, he heard the idea, decided to invest, but with a, such a great vision and projection that in the 98, he decided to start the construction of the winery. And two years after, in the 2000s, Salentine opened its doors, becoming the pioneer of the region. And attention in here because it's not only a wine production building itself, but also it transforms the social and cultural ideas on the area too. So Salentine is not considered an important winery because it was the first winery producing wine in altitude of Uco Valley, but also the social context that changes also the region. Thanks to Salentine's investment in here, other investors came to the area and Uco Valley started growing as a wine region. Salentan, as you may notice, has no relation with Pond, Minder Pond. So where does the Salentan name come from? It's a, a castle in the Netherlands in Nykerk city. 
The Pons family so humble them, they bought that castle too. And thanks to the rights of that Bob, they can use this royal name for marketing purposes. Salentin was a name from a ducacy in the Netherlands. Nowadays it's no longer relation with the crown, but we will see that the blazon, the emblem of the family Salentin, the castle, will be two lions and the crown. But this is just for marketing purposes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Color detail for Maximus Wedding, Queen of the Netherlands. She's from Argentina. Okay. They use this wine from the winery, a Primus Pinot Noir in the home speech. So, this is like a relation, but no relation direct with the crown, okay? <coughs> the design of the winery was in charge of a group of architects from Mendoza, Bormida Janson Studio. And you will see that the whole complex will be based in a minimalistic approach. That's the reason simplicity, small size of the buildings will be remaining important in here because what matters in the exterior is the landscaping we are appreciating now. So the building is not disrupting this amazing view, it's just to accompany shading the modernness in here. But indoors, the winery keeps another imprint, it was based on an Italian Renaissance church concert. Yeah. Okay? So now we are ready to get indoors and the sun is also on. Just to be aware, in Salente, in Upo Valley, Salente has two wineries. The one we are visiting now, it's Salente, and it's specialized in the aged wine production. That means all the wine that we make for normal consumption with a really good growing in the process in the bottle chain. However, we have other winery that is placed right past in the roots and it's called Wines by Bodega Salentine. We serve it with a really good feeling, Portillo. And Portillo is producing all the entry wines, the young and sparkling wines, okay? So that's the reason we have two columns in here with all Salentine portfolio, from the younger wine to the wine that happens, that lasts the most in the winery, okay? Quality of our wines will be the same. All the wines have excellent quality. Not because I'm working here, because I already did the exercise of tasting. <laughs> and also, according to how longer they pass in the winery, the process involved is the reason the price of the bottle will rise. Okay? That's why, for example, in this column we have all the wines that we're doing here. We are imagining that here we have an aging time in barrel, aging the wine. In the young wines, it's only fermentation, mainly stainless steel tank, bottling, and go to the market. In here, we will have different materials of fermentation too that we will see sooner. And as we are getting higher in the column, as much more complicated the process involves, <coughs> higher the price. Just to give you like a really good overview of the wine that we have, barrel selection are the fruitish wine that we have in the Salentine winery. They have already a half by oak but they also have much more frutality and lightness expression. Numina comes from a Greek word, numen, so essence, spirit of the vineyards. And the idea in this part of the branch is to show um, unknown varieties on the area. When I said unknown varieties, we must imagine that if we said Argentina in the wine world, we imagine it might live with Malbec, but we have other varieties going here. Some of them really important, for example, such as Cabernet Franc, Petit Verdot, Syrah, that at the moment were unknown. Nowadays, we sell Cabernet Franc and it's quite popular. At the moment, it wasn't. So, that idea to showcase some of the wine that were not common in the evening. Then we have single vineyard. 
that for us is kind of like our academical wine. I will explain. We visited today San Pablo vineyards belonging to the geographical indication San Pablo, GI San Pablo. The idea of these wines is to not only offer the tasting of the grape itself, but also the terroir condition that allows the growing of that grape. That's the reason we pay attention of the GI that we have. In Upa Valley, in this moment, there are six geographical indications certified, in which Salentine has presence in three of them. So that's the reason to showcase different geographical indications and to see how those factors allow the growing of those grapes in which such as quality. Really, really smart, our marketing team, they plasm all that information that I mentioned in the label of the bottle. So if you pay attention to the label, you will see that in the white dots, it will be the map of the geographical indication in the case San Pablo shows what we mentioned about the uh, 1,100 meters, 1,700 meters and the two rivers. In golden will be the plot of the vineyard where the grape was taken and right below GPS coordinates in order for you to search on the internet and Google <laughs> Earth the exact position of the vineyard. So it helps you to understand what is the altitude position of that vineyard and to maybe guess how will be the wine behaving according to the year. That's why it will be like the most next expression of the wine and it will give us also really good input about the terroir conditions. Primus, different from the single vineyard, will be the selection of grapes in amazing harvest. That meaning here I have the blend of different altitudes, different plots, but best quality ever. That means if a year I don't have an outstanding harvest, I can skip it and maybe produce it in the next year. Okay? Finally, our icon wine, the Grand Vaublain, is a blend of Malbec, Cabernet Sauvignon, 7030, two varieties that are quite important for us in Salentine, Malbec being representation of Argentina, and Cabernet Sauvignon is a variety that is so difficult to have in here because it's a variety that normally deserves a little bit of warmer climate. We mentioned that San Paulo is a little bit cooler, so that's why it's a challenge. And it's the wine that lasts the most in the winery, 24 months, 18 old barrel, that means three to four years to this wine be ready into the market, okay? In production, we mentioned that in the young and sparkling wines, we will have approximately 13 million liters per year, and in here, 3.5 million liters per year, more or less, okay? So less production in here, but processes are longer. Questions so far? I know that I'm running a little bit with this information. Well, how much is there this one? How much? Please. For the retail price, yeah. We have bigger right. production in here, for sure, and as we are climbing, because oh. it's a sectorization of the vineyard, not much quantity of vineyards mm -hmm. to produce it, small quantity of to produce. But exactly in each mm -hmm. line, for sure, from all the vineyards that we have in here, we mentioned that 80% is small big, mm -hmm. so that would be like the biggest percentage that we have in here. Uh, how much do you sell them for? Uh, approximately, we range in here, I would say in dollars, approximately will be um, from 17 to uh, 25 dollars in here, in this range. In here we are rounding about the 45 dollars. In this one we are ringing between 50 to 75 dollars. Same as here, 75 dollars, and this one approximately 150 dollars. Well, and they, they are using a very expensive marketing <laughs> because to have gold, on coloured paper mm -hmm. is very it's expensive. <laughs> so you can tell that this is a premium bottle. If you look at the labels on the cheap one over there, it's just a single block colour. Here, they are using um, special colours. Special colours. So this gold on, on this beautiful paper, this paper and this blue, 
Yeah. And, that, and that, that in itself is a very big cost. So yeah. th this is why these are the premium brands versus the, probably the cheapest stuff over there. <laughs> another, another aspect that is important to mention, because sometimes we don't pay attention about the price of the bottle of that part also, is that the label of these bottles also is by hand. It's not a machine, but yes. it's by hand. Yeah. yeah. The other yeah. one, as you mentioned, yes, it's quite a faster production and makes us possible to yeah. have bought in terms of We then toured the winery going down some steps and underground this uh, huge array of massive stainless steel bins there providing, holding the wine, turning around, doing all the usual wine production stuff really but uh, just on a massive scale and then when we got to the middle when Paolo had mentioned about the cultural side of this we suddenly found ourselves within an amphitheatre, a sort of round uh, stage if you like, surrounded by seating there and the acoustics being incredible and there being a piano there as well so uh, um, Juan Paolo actually gave us a little rendition on the piano and, and then out of the blue one of our crowd, a fairly quiet reserved chap called Tom Lloyd, suddenly stood up and gave us a rendition of the Welsh National Anthem. <laughs> and then that was followed by something quite magical as our tour guide Fiona then gave us a fantastic rendition of Caledonia, that great Scottish song and of her wonderful sweet voice echoed out throughout the whole vineyard and I think there was silence amongst everybody and uh, apart from maybe when a few of us joined in the chorus. What a wonderful experience that was. Again, we were treated to a fantastic lunch, this time not so much of beef and empanadas, but something a bit more fine dining, but in the restaurant that was actually within the winery. So this is uh, Salantin, as well as owning the, the restaurant where we were staying and the hotel where we were staying, they had their own fantastic restaurant within the winery. And of course, we got to sample some of those wonderful wines and the, the Salantin whites, which we'd been drinking in Buenos Aires before we got there, to be fair, was absolutely gorgeous. And if we can get hold of some back in the UK, we're all going to, going to try. So we had some great wines and some great food and then headed off back to our, our hotel for the afternoon for a little bit of, uh, of rest, which we all needed because we're all bloated, and then some more dinner in the evening. Fantastic time it was. And the following 
day was something quite similar where we went to visit two more wineries uh, quite a distance away at the bottom end of the Yuko Valley. I'm not sure if the bus deliberately took us on the scenic route, but we drove along the base of the wonderful Andes Mountains and we, and we could see snow on the top of some of these mountains and we were quite high in, in, in our vehicle through some lovely little rural villages and you could see wine growing up to three, four thousand meters up above us and it was just an incredible journey that uh, eventually took us back down to our next couple of wineries. Uh, one of those called Zuccardi is probably world famous as one of the best wines in Mendoza. Um, and we all tried the wine, we all enjoyed it, but we didn't rave about it as much as we had done about the Salentine that uh, was that little bit further north. And then we went to another winery, this one called Alpha Cruz, and the Alpha Cruz wine again was fantastic. Um, we really all enjoyed it. I didn't get, didn't get any recording there because uh, I kind of thought we'd covered the, the winemaking business, but what we did get there was a six-course lunch, and I think a lunch to die for. I'm not sure whether these guys had a Michelin star or not, but they could easily have done. We had the six courses, including prawns from Patagonia and some fantastic steak and some tomato water kind of soup, which was glorious. Uh, and it was all absolutely brilliant. A kind of a good end to, uh, to our main tour, really. And then, and then in the evening on our last day, I decided there were a lot of great people along on this trip. So why not have a chat to a few of them, see what they thought about our trip to Argentina, see maybe what they'd learned and, and a little bit about their background as well. So I've tagged this on to the end of this podcast where we have a, a, a chat to some of our guests there on our final night before we headed back to Buenos Aires. So on this tour in Argentina, we've come with Field Farm Tours and uh, we've met some fantastic people and, and a good friend of mine that's here with me, uh, Stuart Curry, his wife Gail is here somewhere as well, but Stuart, uh, tell us a little bit about what you thought about Argentina. Argentina, Andy, is probably one of the nicest places I've ever been in my life, um, completely taken away. The scenery, the people, the food. Uh, everything we've done so far has been absolutely top-notch, brilliant. And phenomenal. And, and, and tell a little bit about yourself. You're from Settle in Yorkshire. People will know you through breeding Texel sheep going back the way, and now you're a, you're a short-horn breeder, but we've seen a lot of Angus cattle here. We've seen a lot of That's probably the most probably the only disappointing part, as far as I'm concerned. Is I would love to have seen a few more shorthorns around, uh, but the, what we have seen were, were super. The Angus were, uh, were stunning cattle wherever we've been with those. Uh, obviously smaller than what we're used to in our country. But uh, if this is the way forward, then we've made, it's sort of got my mind ticking a bit anyway as to which way we've got to go next with them. Exactly that. I mean, the, 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 the whole job here is geared up around the profit. It's not about the vanity. It's about the profit making these animals functional and, and, uh, and producing what they need to be. And it's, it's horses for courses wherever you go around the world, isn't it? But I mean, the, I can see, as you said, you can see a lot, take a lot away from this to, as, to, as to how to make the animals more profitable. Absolutely. I think um, it's, it's made me think more about the size of the animal more than anything else and I think possibly we have got too big with our cattle in, in our country um, and the standard that they have over here where they, it's, they're like pieces of the pod basically and, and, and they're on such a large scale as well that's the thing so I mean it's, it, 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 when you can produce cattle that quality across you know, such a level playing field they do there and these guys with thousands of cows the large scale they've got all the data and, and, and it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's big boys games isn't it? that's what takes your breath away mm -hmm. when you see 200 cattle in one corner of a field mm -hmm. and like pieces of the pod 
God. Yeah, yeah. Superb. They've been fantastic. I'm just a bit disappointed we haven't seen many sheep here. Sheep aren't worth a lot in Argentina, so maybe there's something uh, so that we need to export them a few more. I think possibly, but probably the, the climate's probably against sheep in this country more than anything else, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and obviously the people are they're not going to eat much lamb. Well, although they do eat them on the farm, mm. and, and uh, the, the, the barbecues have been superb, haven't they? So. It's great, and I've seen some great beef, and, some, and but great people. That's what makes a trip like this. We've seen some fantastic people. We've made some good friends for life. I think the, the farming families that we've met are obviously long-established mm-hmm. farming families, and, and the history behind them, is, that's what makes it so yeah. interesting and unique, I think. Brilliant. And we're just about to go and eat some more beef there, Stuart, so we'll leave it at that. But uh, we've eaten a lot of beef this week, a lot of wine as well, and it's been absolutely blown us, blown us out. <laughs> Let it continue. It's as far as I'm concerned, I'm quite happy. Brilliant. Well, have a good evening. Cheers. 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 Thanks. So the group that we've been in, some fantastic people. Lots of McGregors here, and I've got Libby, Libby McGregor with me, and Archie with me as well. And Libby, tell us a little bit about uh, about how you've enjoyed uh, being here in Argentina. Well, I came here screaming, I am not going to Argentina. It's the last place I'm going. I did not want to come. And then, of course, once I get here, it's been brilliant. It's been brilliant. It's been lovely, lovely weather, um, and the effort I've just put into you know, organising the trips and the quality of everything we've seen has been just brilliant. Yeah. And all the people that are here have all gone well, have all gelled well together and for a really good laugh. Brilliant, brilliant. That's how I feel about it. Brilliant. <laughs> and, and, and Archie the same, but Archie, you, you hear a little bit more on, on, on a mission, maybe from an agricultural point of view, seeing a lot of cows and uh, what, have you learnt anything from, from, from how you think the, the, the Argentinians are farming? Well, it's a lot different from us, in a sense, a totally different to different setups than what we've got but the climate is different the pasture is different and um, we would love to farm the way they, the way they farm here I mean they don't really need subsidies because they're not having to give their cattle a lot of concentrate feeding it's all grass and and uh, it's a super way to uh, to farm cattle and mm-hmm. uh, a, a far cheaper system than we could ever do in the UK. And we've seen a lot smaller cows here. There's been a discussion, I think, over the last year or two in the UK and everywhere, really. The cows are a lot smaller here, functional. They suit this, they suit this, the, the, the farming conditions here, there. And, and is, is there something we can learn from that? Or, or, oh, to, well, totally. But it's, it's a lot, as again, again, it's a lot to do with the pasture. They, they can have grass fed cattle, they can finish cattle on grass. We've landed ourselves in this situation in the UK where we're into continental cattle, they're far bigger cattle, and they've, they've really got to be grain-fed, and, 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 and we've got to winter them for six months of the year inside, whereas out here they, they don't really need to see a shed at all. Even the dairy cattle, it's, it's a fantastic setup. You think they have it, have it fairly easy here, actually? It's never easy, it's never easy, but totally different system from what we've got at home. Fantastic experience, and now we're all sitting here just about to get some more beef and we've been fed beef beef and beef and we're in now amongst the, the vineyards as well with beef and wine i mean it's it's what's, what's not to like no i know and I've, I've never eaten in rum as much in a, <laughs> such a short period of time in my life and it's uh, it's been super it's been quite demanding at times but it's been a uh, uh, no great great and the and the food food has been very good and we're about to go and have some more so thanks very much actually i'll let you get tucked back in there cheers and, and the people that we've been here, most people on this tour are people that, that I've known myself. And, I, and one gentleman with me now, George Jessel, uh, I didn't know, and Sir George, I have to say, uh, George has, has joined us on here. And George, for all he didn't know the cow side of it, he, was, he came for the wine side of it because George is a wine producer in the UK. And, and George, we've seen 
some fantastic vineyards on, on a vast scale. But so, George, just to, to say hello to, to my listeners and tell us, what, just to start with, just what you're making of the wine business over here. Well, I, I'm absolutely bowled over by the wine business here. I um, I have a 34-acre wine business in East Kent, so uh, in the Garden of England, and we are now comparing it against uh, vineyards here down here in Argentina which are anything up to a... So the one we saw today was 6,000 hectares. Mm. I mean, how the English wine market can com- compete against uh, something like that on that scale uh, is beyond me. And actually, I don't think we can. No. But we have to hold our own. And it's down to, frankly, people buying British and buying local. And that's what I would sing, whether it's buying wine, whether it's buying beef, um, lettuces... Uh, it's always what we need to do is encourage our local people to buy local and buy British. Brilliant, and, and, and you're right that I mean the, the massive scale operations here were set up for, for export all over the world. But the, the certain areas where we are in the Yucca Valley just now here, they are set up to produce high quality wines, which I think is where you where your business yeah. fits in. You're, you're not looking at the, the, the general consumer; you're going for the higher end of the of the wine market, and that's challenging because producing a wine is expensive. But you've got to get that added value to get those extra prices up there that you can you can make a decent profit. Correct, in and and actually the the Argentinian market, which we've seen today. Uh, fits nicely into the supermarket. So mm. they are able to keep the supermarket chains blissfully happy with large stocks at very reasonably priced wine. But we've seen today that they can actually produce mm. very high class. Mm. I mean, the Malbecs that you and I have been drinking over the mm. last three or four days have been exceptional. Mm. And to be able to, and it's been a privilege to be able to drink Malbec down here in Argentina. I mean, we in Great Britain, we're never going to ever get anywhere near a Malbec. No. But what we can do, we can go head to head on a nice fizz. Yes. And some of the fizzes we've had down here are a little bit on the sweet side, and that's because the Argentinians uh, have a slight sweet tooth. But actually, the fizzes that we produce or uh, back in, in England, I think we could go head to head with them. Mm. Our biggest problem, I'm, I hate to say it, is the government tax and you know I'm, I'm, we're not here to talk politics but you know if we could somehow get the government to relax the tax a bit on English wine I think that'll be doing everybody a favour. There we go that's always a, always a, it's always a contentious, <laughs> contentious thing that uh, yeah, the government have a, a lot to, to take the blame for but let's just go back a little bit to where you are in, in, in Kent you farm I think 1200 acres you said you I farm do. a bit yep. So, yep. so when did you get into wine and, and obviously Kent is now getting the Kent wines as we know the South Country wines are are getting a great reputation. When did you get into wines and why? Uh, so I, I have a beautiful estate, uh, 1,200 uh, acres or 500 hectares um, uh, down in East Kent, uh, just uh, on, on the North Downs outside Ashford. Um, I'm a great believer, unless you are a specialist, and uh, on this trip we've met uh, wonderful uh, beef uh, uh, farmers who are specialists in beef. I can't do that in East Kent, so I decided when I started my farming career that we would diversify and although my bread and butter is arable uh, and beef uh, and sheep, but I wanted to do other things and we've had a, we've got a cheese plant, but I got involved with Hadlow College which um, uh, is now under a new regime where we tried to set up a, 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 a new viticulture centre for everybody or anybody who wants to get into the wine growing region 
And being a trustee or being a governor of, of Hadlow College, I persuaded the college that this is something they should do. And they very kindly said yes. And we put the vineyard in at, at Penstock. Now, this whole racial debt of the vineyard was that it was to give young people a vast opportunity, open up avenues for different jobs, whether it be in hospitality, whether it be in winemaking, whether it be in engineering, whether it be in spraying, whether it be in uh, pruning, or, or, or just you know having an outdoor life. Uh, uh, and the hospitality goes into you know chefing and so on. The wine world opens up enormous jobs, and I'm very very keen on giving young people. A rural job. That's a very commendable thing to do to, to, to say and to be involved with. And I've seen that the way that you, you treat people. You obviously have that, that outlook to make sure that everybody gets a turn out of the business. And that's great. But, I mean, Kent has, has grown, I suppose. I don't know when the vines first went into Kent. Maybe you'll tell me. But you, you would come in a little bit later to the party. Some of those yeah. the, 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 the South Country wines have been there now. And, as I said, the fantastic reputation that they get in there. But so you've, you've come in now. But you will have seen what the other people did around there and said I could do this or I'm going to do it better. I think the uh, well, I mean, the Romans brought wine to the United Kingdom, um, you know, uh, uh, 1,800 years or so ago. So yeah, wine has been coming, you know, has been grown in the United Kingdom for a very long time. Sadly, um, the wines uh, in the 50s and 60s were all sort of German and, and rather mm. a not good stock, but. Uh, you know, with climate change, and I, I have to be honest, I point the finger at climate change, and I point the finger at technology, and young people getting involved in, you know, understanding soil structure uh, and soil science, and understanding what makes uh, a variety grow very well on certain soils. And there has been huge research done, especially at Plumpton, and you know, big big shout out to Plumpton College, who are now the viticulture. Yeah, centre for the United Kingdom. Are they? Okay, absolutely. So, if you want to study or know anything about viticulture, you need to go to Plumpton College down in East Sussex, um, and that is the place to go to. And you, you've met, you've been very helpful, and certainly today we've been around a large vineyard. You've been very helpful by helping the, the guy out who, we, who we've done a chat with as well, helping the guy out there with bringing your knowledge. It's obviously you're very knowledgeable, but you did say yourself that the technology has moved on so so oh, yeah. much in the last twenty years at these, yeah. especially here. In in Argentina where they yeah. can now irrigate and they've got to, they can grow the right ones in the, and they're changing their varieties for every different, different parts of soil and, and the, the, the science behind it is huge. It's, science in my book is the most important thing and I mentioned today about um, the chemistry side of life. Mm. To be a winemaker now you need to be a chemist. You know you have to understand the whole chemistry uh, behind winemaking and winemaking is a very technical world. Now, we in the United Kingdom have got really better at this. We understand it, and we've got wonderful people coming from New Zealand. In fact, we come from Argentina, from in the Napa Valley in California. So a lot of these young people have been attracted to the United Kingdom. There is no doubt about it, the United Kingdom is becoming uh, a region for winemaking, which people think, wait a minute, they're doing very well. I don't want to, we're not in competition with the French and everybody else. We all sit together, we all have our special place. I don't believe in competition within farming full stop. I don't want to be a better beef farmer than my next door neighbour. 
I'd like us both to be good bee farmers. I would, it's the same with wine. I want the whole of the United Kingdom to be good winemakers. And so I want people to go and aim for the top, make the best they physically can. Don't make base wines, go for the top. Because if you go for the top, you can always come back down again a little bit. But if you go and you start to produce a base wine, um, it's very difficult to go up. It's much easier to always come down. Okay. Okay, and and you, you, we say Kent, obviously the very south of England. There, uh, with the climate change that's coming, are these wines moving north now? We started to see are. wines in the Midlands, and, uh, yes. and I know from my hometown, uh, Worcestershire. They, yes. I know there's wines around there. So I'm not sure what the, what the most northern vineyard is, but I'm going to say, mm-hmm. it's 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 got to be Worcestershire, mm-hmm. Warwickshire. Uh, I, I'm I'm feeling rather embarrassed. I mean, there is no doubt about it that the southeast of England and the West Country. Essex, Suffolk, um, East Kent or Kent, uh, Sussex moving into Hampshire uh, and then to the West Country. Those areas, now they've got the terroir and that's Mm. a lovely French term. Mm. So there is this wonderful chalk, this uh, wonderful soil that has come from, you know, comes, you know, rafts its way through uh, southern France to northern France and then Mm. into, into southern England. Now, having said that, the technology is moving forward, and there are certainly vineyards going further north. Now, the only big thing is in my book, and I learned this at Plumpton, vineyards above uh, 100 metres struggle. Okay. Today, we looked at vineyards mm. were, that were at 1,300 metres. Yes. And they were growing exceptional wine. So there's there's opportunities there. So there is opportunities. There is opportunities there, as we said. And and we are primarily a livestock podcast, the top lines and yes. tails. But everybody in 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 the in the farming world is looking for diversification. And and is there should should some of our livestock farmers maybe in areas that they could do should they be looking at them maybe think they well, should be able, should be looking forward for the next generation to diversify into winemaking. I love the idea the diversification and the stock farm. I mean. People will um, will control their grass and their weeds in vineyards with sheep. Mm-hmm. Now I know of um, vineyards in uh, in Kent where they're organic, um, and they will control the grass um, with in the winter, and they will put uh, certainly sheep in during the winter to to eat the grass. So I think there is a synergy mm. between you know stock farming, particularly sheep. Now chickens, I mean. Why not run some chickens in a vineyard? I mean, it's, you know, to have a sterile, you know, not sterile, because actually vineyards attract all sorts of animals and the, the wildlife and the, the diversity of insects and bugs and things in vineyards is huge. But I think livestock farming has a little bit to, you know, to learn because they could use vineyards for a bit of grazing. Okay, okay. And the setting up, we're not going to go into the technicalities, no. we don't have the time, but the setting up of a vineyard is an expensive operation. It's not something you do, you know, for, for, let's just put a vineyard in together for, for next year. It, it's obviously, a, it's a, not a lifelong commitment, but a long commitment, and, and the expense of doing that is huge. In the vet, are there grants and things? Are there, are there people being encouraged to do this and being helped out a little bit? No, there are, there are no grants, not to, to, to my knowledge. But what there are is, I mean, I, for base figures, it will cost you between, Fifteen and twenty thousand pounds an acre to establish a, a, a vineyard. It will give, and you will get your money. You will start to get your money back from year six to seven. Okay. Now, you you have to be a wealthy man to obviously suffer those you know six to seven years. But there are people out there, and if you do the work yourself and you start small and you grow, 
Um, you don't need to borrow vast amounts of money, but like any enterprise within farming, you have to work hard and get it right first time. You cannot afford to make mistakes. So my great, my, my, I'll leave you on this one. Always go for ask for advice. Okay. There are plenty of people out mm. there, and um, people like yourself who are on the airways. But technical advice, there is always technical advice. There is always people out there. If you have a great idea, go and ask for help. Excellent, excellent. Well, that's good. And uh, one last thing, I will, uh, I will let you give a little bit of plug to your own wines there. So, oh, yes. where, where do we go to buy some some wines from George? So, if you if you'd like to uh, uh, see uh, my wines and what I do uh, down in East Kent, you can go to penstockwine.com. Penstockwine.com. Penstock. P e n s t o c k wine.com. And you can see what we've uh, uh, what we've got on uh, what we have for sale and what we're trying to do. Brilliant, George. And I'm on commission, so I'm, I'm waiting for my <laughs> bottles to arrive in the post fairly sure. George, you've been fantastic company this Thank week. I really much. enjoyed it, and thanks for talking to us on Top Nine Details. Thank you. Okay. Brilliant. I've got James Milverton with me now, and, and James is here on his own, but he's come out and had a fantastic time. What a great crowd of people has been here, James. Yeah, there's a whole range of people. Everyone's really friendly, and it's been a superb crowd, isn't it? And and and. You're obviously, you're, you're mixing with it. What, what have you taken away from, from, from this trip in Argentina from an educational point of view? Um, probably a cattle has been the main thing that I wanted to come and see. And we've seen some really well-bred herds um, and met some really good farmers. Um, and, and just give me a little bit of your background then in, in farming. Um, we have been dairy farming for a long time. Um, and mixed farming as well. And where are you? Remind me where you are. Uh, Somerset. Somerset, yeah. Um, we're just about to move farms, so this is quite a good way of seeing lots of different things and maybe using something in the future, ideas yeah. or yeah. breeds or breeding. And, and amongst the cattle, we've seen some very diverse herds. In Argentina, it's all about profitability, isn't it? It's all about you know, the, the smaller cows and making them work for themselves. Yeah, it seems them. to be. Um, make use of their grassland. Yeah. Um, fairly low costs and just produce the beef. And, and you're probably educate, well educated in farming. I mean, you, you'll have, you'll have you know, been through the, the, the farming education system there. Do you think that there's things we could learn from these Argentines? I think so, yeah. They've got, very, well, fairly simple systems. They are able to keep them out all year round, which is a big bonus. Bastards, eh? <laughs> <laughs> um, they've got a nice climate, but, yeah, I think definitely. And the scale that they, that they farm on as well, that, that yeah. makes it a lot more chance for them to get data right across the board rather than just throwing a few. It does, yeah. Um, yeah, they've got the scale and the space and the land that sure. it's not quite restrictive as it is at home, but... The, ca- the cattle are different, though, aren't they here to, to, to what we would find in the UK? Yeah, definitely. It wasn't quite what I was expecting, but, um, yeah. And, and listen, it's a nation all about beef, isn't it? The, the, the Argentina, beef is everything. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, just... That's all you see when you're travelling around, just herds scattered all over the place. Um, uh, and you're, you're in, in a bit of a situation there. We had a chat the other day that you are, as you said, you've sold a farm, you're looking to move to another farm somewhere and, and you're looking in all sorts of areas and I mean there's areas where it must vary I mean it, it, it's, it's almost a blank is it a blank sheet for you to start again this? it is nearly yeah it's a good chance to um, do something slightly different or um, it just depends a bit what farms come up but um, yeah definitely you, you've got ideas obviously where you want to go and what you want to do with it um, not specifically we're just trying to find a good farm and we're not too worried about area really okay. um, 
something long term that will be good and we won't have to move again. Yeah, and put the generations down in there. Right? Yeah, hopefully. Great to talk to you, James. It's been super. Really enjoyed your company this week. Thanks very much. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> and while we spoke to a couple of McGregors earlier on, there's another McGregor here in the family as well. Um, Aileen, Aileen McFadgen now, and Aileen, you've been. You've been travelling with us this week, and what a, a fantastic! I mean, the Gregors have made up part of this group, and they've been superb. But what a great, to, what a great few days we've had! Haven't we? It's been absolutely tremendous. Mm. I've always wanted to come to South America. I don't know why. I've a notion, and when Fiona mentioned that Field Farm Tours were coming to Argentina to see Aberdeen Angus, mm. I yeah, I wanted to come, this, and it's been the most awesome week. Uh, the cattle we have seen have been an eye opener. Mm. The, the, the standard of them, sure. um, and they've all been different, mm. as you'll have seen, Andy. Yeah, and slightly different ethos in every farm we've been at, but all work very, very hard at what they want to do and know where they want to go. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. Been phenomenal, and your farming, of course, with with George, but as well, you you've been in charge of the blackies for a long time now, and yeah, it's, uh, twenty-seven it's, years. It's, we haven't seen many sheep, although uh, two farms we were at used to have blackfish sheep, yeah. which was amazing. Yeah, and the, the, the sheep aren't really worth a lot over here. This it's not a sheep nation, is it? No, it's not. No, it's, no. They seem to use it for home consumption, mm-hmm. um, but they're still an important part of yeah. of, of what they eat. Yes, yeah, true. Yeah, and enjoy the lamb. Yeah, yeah, so. they do. And yourself, as well as, as well as yourself and George Farming, now your your son is is a curler, and he's a, a lot of our listeners here. Some of our listeners won't even know what curling is, but your son is a professional curler, and he goes he around the world. Second so top team in Great Britain. Um, off to Canada get next week. <laughs> the team is the fourth top team in the world. That's fantastic. At the moment, yeah. Must be so very, proud. very proud. So proud <laughs> of Duncan there doing that. And as you said, he's away in Canada just now. And George is going there on the Skype over there to, yes, to, to, to he's see going them. To watch them and while you're here. Them, so. <laughs> leave, leave people at home to look after the rest of it, maybe. Yeah, Malcolm, the youngest son, <laughs> to like at home. Must <laughs> 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 Good night. Good night. Yeah. Good night. Yeah. Tom, sit down to say a quick word. So I've also got, along with us, we've got, we've got Tom Lloyd. And Tom is, I think, a serial guy that travels all around the world there. On tours, looking at farms and all sorts of places. Tom, Tom, say a word first. Yes, I've done many tours, mainly on my own, and across America. I've been to many countries on my own: Denmark, Faroe Islands, France, Germany, uh, Ireland, you make Scotland. It, <laughs> you make us all jealous there, and, and, and you have a farm back home. I think yeah, you rent, yes, the, rent yeah. the farm out, but you just, yeah, just yes, come along. Yes, you come along and, and enjoy it, and you've been a valuable part of the trip as well. It's been, yeah, what a great, you. a great crowd of people has been. Yes, on this yes. Trip. Oh, Maybe. tremendous crowd. Yeah. They've all got on mm. brilliantly. Yeah, that's what I was worried about before coming in. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was I go on some tours and you don't talk to them all week. And mm. why, why, when you go in walkers, you've got to get on them and then you, know, you have a fallout. And, and, and the highlight of, of my my week for, for, was, was hearing Tom today singing the Welsh National Anthem in a, in an amphitheatre in, in, a, in a vineyard. And Tom, absolutely congratulations on that. That was, uh, was unexpected. It was super yeah. So thank you. Nice to speak. Yes. Tell us a little bit more about the blackies and alien. That's been a challenge. It's, it's, it's a world of challenge amongst the blackie breeders. But uh, any breed uh, secretary's job is a challenge. You're mm. dealing with lots and lots of different people. Um, blackies are 
uh, they're a pedigree breed, but they're an unregistered breed, mm -hmm. and we have lots and lots of characters. Mm -hmm. And for years, we were the, the, the most numerous breed in the UK, and we are still not as much as we used to be mm -hmm. because so much of the hill land's been planted. Sure, yeah. So much of the big estates have been sheep off, which mm -hmm. is really, really mm -hmm. sad. Um, because hill sheep farming is in a decline, mm -hmm. and not because of the sheep, mm -hmm. because of government policy. Sure. And I find that really sad. It, yes, I, I can hear that. I can hear that in your voice that it's sad. And, and as you say, they're taking a lot of the animals off the hill to put trees in there. And, and I'm, not, I'm not sure that's the answer either, is it, for the hills? But I don't know what the answer is nowadays. Mm -hmm. It, we've all farmed for subsidy. Mm -hmm. So people kept all these sheep because they've got a headage payment. The minute that went, they put the sheep off. Mm -hmm. Which is, that's what I find really disappointing. And in the UK, we farm for whatever subsidy we can get. And that's not why we should be farming. Okay. We should be farming because it's a profitable business without subsidy and it isn't, and we should be farming because that's the passion of, of our life and our businesses. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what farming's going to end up being mm -hmm. because of the change in subsidies. There certainly is a huge change coming coming mm -hmm. right now, and, and you'll see it, we'll all see it, the farming will see it in the next five or six years, we'll see the repercussions of, of, of of Brexit and, and uh, maybe it's for the good and, and then it'll, it'll come, back, come it, back together. It will sort itself mm -hmm. out. But we are going through a very difficult period mm -hmm. in, in the farming industry in the UK. Mm -hmm. But it will sort itself out. Mm -hmm. um, Brilliant. Well, we'll sort ourselves out, Aileen, because we've enjoyed some bloody good wine in the last, <laughs> two, last two or three days and we're going to go and find some more. So it's lovely to speak to you and I've really enjoyed your company this week. Thank you. Well, I will admit I am back home now after our tour to Argentina and I can't recommend Field Farm Tours enough for how brilliant they've been in organising this trip and how brilliant Fiona's been in uh, organising us and uh, it's been absolutely superb and the people we've met, we've made friends for life and uh, we've discussed everything from the weather to the wine to the beef to just about all the politics and all of it and it's been an absolutely superb 10 days tour and I highly recommend Field Farm Tours for, for if anybody wants to go on a trip around the world to see something different and uh, you don't have to be farmers as Fiona said just uh, just get yourself in there and there'll be a great crowd of people to follow around so I hope you all enjoyed having a listen to what we did it's mainly an official thing that uh, could have shown you more of the, the vineyards and the cattle that we've seen but uh, I hope you've enjoyed listening to us on a podcast and having a chat to some of the people that were along there and uh, for all Alien and I were getting a little bit maudlin about sort of the, the, the state of British agriculture I think there's something to learn from all these tours when we go away uh, something we can bring back home there so uh, thank you all very much for listening and I hope you've enjoyed a bit of a Top Lines and Tales chat there and uh, of course thank you very much to our sponsors Harbro don't forget those guys there's Harbro uh, a brilliant company who've supported the Top Lines and Tales now for a number of years um Obviously, manufacturers and suppliers of high-quality livestock nutrition and nutritional advice across the board. And, and uh, if you're not familiar with Harbour, go and look them up at uh, harbour.com and make sure that see, see if anything they can do for you. And uh, have a chat to your local representative to see how they can help you feed your stock through the winter and summer, for that matter, and your pedigree stock and, and all of it. So, a uh, great company, Harbour. Really appreciate their support and uh, really appreciate all you top lines and tails listeners out there for uh, for having a 
tune in every week or every couple of weeks as it is now and, and don't forget to go onto the Top Lines and Tales Facebook page you'll find our community there where there'll be loads of pictures from Argentina and pictures from all our other episodes as well that'll uh, that'll help you um, get an understanding of, of where we've been and what we've been doing and, uh, and how we've been doing it so uh, thanks very much to everybody <laughs>